Well, good morning and uh, welcome. Thanks to all of you who served and serve your city. Uh, it was a good day. Those who didn't, you'll get a chance because I suspect we'll do it again. But the whole point about us serve your city day is not that one day a year we serve, but that that becomes sort of a catalyst for prompting people to just have an attitude of serving and looking for ways they can um, they can love other people and care for other people. So um, thanks for that. So I first heard the gospel when I was in high school, which is a little bit of a problem because I had been attending church all my life up until then, but the message I got from the church was actually a little different than the gospel. To the extent that I could summarize it, it was just sort of simple moralism. Be good. Uh, be good because God is watching. Be good. And uh, there was a little subtext into that that basically advertised that uh, good was boring. Uh, nobody said that, but that's what I picked up. Uh, and in fact, the opposite is true, although uh, bad. Sin has a great PR firm, and it sort of looks like it's exciting and, and daring and dashing and sexy and, and intriguing. Sin is ultimately boring because it can at best be broken good, right? Good is better than broken good. And so uh, I think C.S. Lewis was spot on in this book, uh, Letters to an American Lady. He said, people who think holiness is boring don't understand holiness. It's irresistible when you get it. So there were problems at the church. I certainly didn't like it. I've talked about that. And uh, when I was probably my freshman year in high school, the church got a new pastor, the, the longtime serving pastor retired, and they got a new pastor. And my take was that he was equally old and irrelevant. He was probably, I don't know, 35. But anyway, he seemed ancient. And I didn't like this, and uh, I sort of drifted away. And then uh, I hear the gospel. I hear that, that the whole point here is that Jesus is not just a teacher. He's not just sort of, a, you know, a, a, a guy that is trying to tell us how we've got to be better than we are, but that God loves us, God sent his son, that we're saved by grace, that, that God wants a relationship with us. It was very different from what I had heard. And I wasn't certain that I believed it, but I was just like, okay, well, this is very different. What do I do with this? So in having some occasional conversations with my parents, who were, of course, frustrated that I wasn't going to church with the family, it was decided I would go talk to the pastor. So I went in, made an appointment, went in and talked to the pastor. And my basic question was, how is it that I am just now hearing uh, this thing called the gospel? How is it that I'm just now hearing, right, that the whole point is that God wants a relationship with us and that I could, I could have my sins forgiven as opposed to, you know, be good, try harder? How, how, because I've now looked, I've been to some Bible studies, I was persuaded that the gospel was the central message. <laughs> but... Uh, I didn't know if I believed it. I just was persuaded this is what the book is saying. So I said, why, why have I not heard this? And it became clear after a little bit that he didn't believe that to be true. 
And so we had an hour-long conversation. I don't remember a whole lot of it, but I remember that at the end I said, every week that I have been here, for whatever that amounts to, a thousand times I've been here, 1,500 times I've been here, you lead us in saying the Apostles' Creed. Right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, died, and buried. And the third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and he seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe in life everlasting. I said, every week we say that. But you're now telling me you don't believe it. And he said, no. And I said, so why do we say it? Like, why do you get up here and say, okay, let's all now say this. And we say, I believe this and you don't believe it. And he didn't really have an answer. And so I left pretty frustrated and disgusted. And then, over the course of the next year or two, uh, I decided that I did believe it. And then, a couple years later, I actually felt called into the ministry. And I remember, while I was in grad school, seminary down the street, I remember remembering this conversation and thinking, I will never say I believe something if I don't believe it, right? That's just somehow, that's, that's malpractice of some sort. That's misleading. That's bad leadership. That's something. So I've sort of made that commitment. So imagine my uh, sort of uh, being conflicted when at a certain point I looked at a line in the Apostles' Creed and thought, well, now I don't know if I believe that. So, I want to tell you what I stumbled over, but let me start by talking about the creeds. So, the creeds are not scripture, but it's about as high in terms of authority as non-scripture goes, things written by people, especially the first four creeds, which are called the ecumenical creeds and which are uh, sort of embraced by everybody. They sort of define Christianity. So I'm thinking of the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, and the Chalcedonian definition. These, uh, these are, are sort of professions, things that we, we are expected to confess or to state that we believe. They're also summary statements. Now, uh, the Apostles' Creed is generally considered to be the first creed and the most important creed. There are some people that say that the first creed is actually simply Jesus is Lord. But, but in terms of the creeds that were written by people, the Apostles' Creed is considered to be the most important. And it's unique in the sense that it was designed in the early church for people who wanted to be baptized to say before they would be baptized. So you are, you are being baptized into something, into a set of beliefs. Christianity, in one sense, is more perhaps caught than taught. But at the same time, 
it's not whatever you might think you catch. It's not whatever you want it to be. It's got to be something uh, in particular. And so uh, the Apostles' Creed was the statement that people would make. This is what I am affirming. Now, the other creeds are a little bit, uh, have a little bit different job. They sort of police the borders. Creeds get written to say, not that, but this. So the, the Nicene Creed is perhaps the most commonly known of the other creeds. And it was written in the fourth century. Uh, Constantine becomes the emperor of Rome. Until Constantine becomes the emperor of Rome, it's illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. Christians are being persecuted. They're being killed. Constantine has this vision just before he becomes emperor. He has a vision of a cross. And so he issues an edict of toleration. And it says it's no longer illegal to be a Christian. And then he invites the leaders of the church to come to his home to, to sort of pound out some challenges that were emerging. In particular, these are coming out of North Africa at the time. Because the Christians, the leaders had never been together, right? I mean, it was illegal to be a Christian. You can't get all the leaders together in one spot. It would be bad and risky and all of that. And there were, communication isn't what it, wasn't what it is today. So he pulls everybody together at his home, his summer home in Nicaea. Constantinople, or Constantine was having his capital city built at the time, Constantinople. We know it today as Istanbul. It wasn't yet built, so he's, he has everybody to his summer home in Nicaea, which is not far outside of Istanbul. I've been there, uh, and it basically at this point is a road marker as you're driving into Istanbul. It's next to a gas station, and it says, this is where the Council of Nicaea met. And you go, really? Well, that's disappointing. Uh, but everybody comes together. And the particular issue that is, that is getting worked on at this point is a reaction to a guy named Arius who said that Jesus Christ was not fully God. He was, he was God-like. He was the vice president of heaven. He was better than everybody else. He was, he was all these things, but he was not equal to God the Father. And so the council gets together. This is called Arianism. The council gets together and they say, Arianism is absolutely wrong. Jesus is fully God. So they write this creed and we call it the Nicene Creed. Now, everybody goes home and Arius goes away, but then Arius' followers come back and they've got a little bit of a spin on it and it gets complicated. And so there's another... 15 years in which a guy named Athanasius is, is trying to, to fine-tune the Nicene Creed, and we end up with this Athanasian Creed, which is really long. You probably haven't heard it except once or twice in the 20 years. I've had us read it, but it's really long. Most people don't like it. So, but it's, it's, it's sort of the Nicene Creed on steroids to block every effort by people to, to diminish Christ. The next thing that happens is that, that there's, a, there's sort of an attack on the opposite flank. So now you, you've got everybody agreeing Jesus is fully God. Now there were people that said he's fully God, he's not fully man. And so this is called docetism. The Greek word doceo means seems. It's just, he just seemed like he was a man. He appeared to be a man, but he wasn't really a man. And this grows out of the whole Greek philosophy that the body, that physical world is bad. And so 
this is written, this is propping up early in the church. John will write against it in his first letter. Uh, the Apostle John will write against it in his first letter. And so it, it's an old problem, but it starts to gain a little bit of a following. And so they get everybody together again, and they, they come up with this Chalcedonian they call it a definition, not a creed. I don't know why. but they, So they come up with a fourth creed that is a Chalcedonian definition. So most of the creeds are sort of policing the boundaries of saying, okay, we got a problem. We got we to delineate what it is that we believe. The Apostles' Creed is different in that it, it was what people were signing up for. This is the essence of the faith. This is, the, this is an outline of the Christian faith. And, uh, and I have a problem with one of the lines in it. Um, so it's not, by the way, what some of you might think. If you knew, if you know the Apostles' Creed, if you said it uh, at another church, you said it growing up, you might think, well, you left the line out that you don't like. And I did leave a line out of some later versions of the Apostles' Creed. What I did not say is that Christ descended into hell. And we don't say, we say the Apostles' Creed here about once a month. There's different services say it more often. The O1 says it once a month. We say it a little bit less in, the, in this service. Other campuses say it in different, different frequencies. But in, the, uh, in the, the Apostles' Creed, some have this line that, that he was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell on the third day, rose again from the dead. And it's not really clear what this is referring to. It's not like there's any passage of Scripture that sort of explains that. Some have held that Jesus, after the cross, he went down into hell and he preached there. Uh, most say that descending into hell refers to the suffering that Jesus endured when he was on the cross. But it's not very clear. What is clear is that that line is actually not part of the early Apostles' Creed. It gets added later on, so we've just taken it out. That's not my problem. I don't know whether that's true or not. I sort of don't understand what people are advocating for. That's not my problem. My problem is different. So let me, let me say the Apostles' Creed, and I'll stop when I get to the line I don't like. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he seateth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Stop. The line I trip over is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, probably my problem is different than what you think it is. I have no problem saying I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. This is not a Catholic statement. Because we're not saying that we are affirming the Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic means universal. So it's a, it's a statement. I mean, the, the Protestant Reformation is going to happen 1,200 years later. So Catholic is saying it's not a particular congregation. It's the church. It's the universal church. So that's not my problem. I don't actually even have a problem saying holy, although the church is not holy. It's made up of very broken, selfish, uh, hypocritical people like me and like you. And so there are some that say, well, the church isn't holy. 
but I get it, but the word holy also has a sense of mean, meaning separated. Uh, and the Greek word for church, ecclesia, means those that have been separated out, those that have been called out. I, I don't have a problem with holy. I don't have a problem with holy. I don't have a problem with Catholic. I have a problem with church. <laughs> I believe in the church. So, really, like this is, this is the plan. Now, it might strike you as odd that this is where I stumble. After all, it's the only thing in the creed that we can actually see. (laughs) We don't see God the Father. We don't see the Son. He's in heaven. We can't see the resurrection. I mean, you go down the list, can't see anything except the church. Right? And so it's odd that this would be the one that I say I got a problem with the church. Secondly, I'm on staff at a church. Right? Uh, you would think that I believe in the church. I mean, I used to be uh, in, in the marketplace. I used to be in the, in the, uh, as a, a consultant. And when you sign up to work at the church, you basically say, I'm going to take a cut and pay for more hours. Right? I'm going to give up weekends. So you're an idiot if you say, I'm doing this, but I don't actually believe in it. So that's a second reason why you would say, why are you having a problem? A third reason... The whole REACH initiative that we just did was very church-centric. Right? We said, we want to we help the church grow and thrive. We want to fuel a movement that is going to reach people in renewed communities. We're going to help our global partners start churches uh, overseas. So we're working right now in Istanbul and outside of Accra in, in Ghana and in Chennai, India. We're trying to start new campuses here. We're trying to help other churches grow and thrive. So... Why would we be doing all of that if I'm saying I got a problem with the church? Well, uh, I have a problem with the church because of the church. So let me explain this. I first started to have problems with the church in college. When I'm in a world history class and I'm hearing about the Crusades and the Inquisition and the church being slow in civil rights and a whole bunch of other things where you go, huh. Now, I should have learned all that in high school. I actually did take the class. I just apparently didn't pay attention or slept through it, so I sort of began to clue in in college. More recently, right, it's been a difficult last couple months to say I believe in the church. So there have been problems uh, south of us in, uh, in, in a large evangelical church that has been disruptive and disappointing. In the last week, there's more revelations about ongoing systemic corruption and unthinkable practices in uh, the Roman Catholic Church. And so there's, there's disappointments there. So what does it mean to say... I believe in the church. I I I think that thinking people ought to pause and say, really, I believe in the church. What exactly am I being asked to say I believe in? Well, that leads to two words we have to define. What does it mean to believe? And what do we mean by the church? So the word believe in the creeds, actually in the Latin, is creed, credo. That's why they call them creeds, because in Latin, to believe is the word creed. So in the Greek translation of this, it is the Greek word pistis, which means faith. So 
I have faith in the church. Okay, well, what does that mean? Now, I could make this complicated or we could make it simple, and today we're going to make it simple. The Bible talks about faith all the way through. There's all kinds of illustrations and parables and stories and and models and, and case studies of faith. The most definitive, sort of tight, focused definition of faith we get comes in the book of Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And if you keep reading in Hebrews, uh, or if you just go to the very next book, the book of James, it becomes obvious that this faith is, is a action word. So it means to believe, but it's belief followed by obedience. There, to, 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 faith, to have faith, but to not have works means you don't have faith. Faith without works is dead. That's James's line, right? Faith is trust. It's confirmation. It's obedience. So I am trusting, affirming, participating in the church, right? I believe in the church. That's, that's what this word faith means. So now the question is, well, what exactly do we mean by church? Last week, I, uh, I sort of teased apart the word church, and I said the church is not a building, right? The church is a, is a movement that was started by Jesus Christ. We were in Matthew 16, and I said the, 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 the church, the word church, the idea of a church comes from Jesus himself, and when Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. He says, Peter, right answer. And I am going to, be, I am going to build this movement on top of that. <laughs> I am going to build. And he reaches back into Greek philosophy, pulls out a term that's pretty obscure. And, and it's, a, it's a political term. But he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to build the church. I'm going to build a movement. And it will prevail. And I said, don't be impressed with Bezos at Amazon. Don't be impressed with Sergey Brin at Google. Don't be impressed with Stephen Jobs and what he did at Apple. You want to be impressed because companies come and go, right? I mean, ask Kodak, ask Blockbuster. Ask, I mean, go back and look at the who was at the Fortune 500 30 years ago. I mean, most of them are gone. So it's, it's, it's not that impressive to take something for 10, 15, 20 years. The church, I said, is the biggest, oldest, longest, most globally diverse, most ethnically diverse movement in the history of the world, and it continues to grow and spread around the globe. Now, I also said the church is a community. The church is a community of faith, hope, and love based on the life, the teaching, and the work of Jesus Christ. So let me just push on that definition a little bit more. The church is also a missional community. We talk here about the mission of the church. The first 15 years I was here, we said it's to proclaim the good news and engage in good works. That's that's the mission of the church, to proclaim an empty tomb, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, to point people to Jesus and, and to live into who he is and what he calls us to do. To love and serve, to try and bring the kingdom of God here, the values of Christ now, to live into that now, to care for people. A couple years ago, we tweaked that a little bit, didn't change the essence of it at all, still believe that is true, but we said we're going to make it a little bit more outcome-based, so we're not just going to say we want to proclaim the good news, 
we actually want to reach people. <laughs> we, want to, we want to look and say, are we seeing people come to faith? And we not only want to engage in good works, we want to renew communities. We want to see the work that we do be strategic and thoughtful and help. So we're going to fuel a movement that reaches people and renews communities. So we have, we talk about a mission as a church. And I would stand by all of that. However, I think it's more accurate to talk about God's mission having a church. As opposed to the church having a mission, God's mission, the work God is doing, the work that God is going to bring about, he said he's going to bring about with a church. There's a vehicle that is going to help drive the work that God is doing. And so uh, God's mission has a church. And this is, uh, again, introduced by Jesus in the Gospels. And then as we sort of follow the development of the church through the New Testament, we see that in the book of Acts, which is what follows the Gospels, the Gospels tell us the story of Jesus' life. The book of Acts is the first 30 years of the church after his resurrection. The book of Acts opens with, with Jesus saying, the church, you will be my witnesses in, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. The church is going to start here and it's going to go throughout the world. And then in Acts chapter 2, the church is actually born. That's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and others you know, gathered in the upper room. And they spill out into the streets and they begin to, 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 to speak in tongues. They begin to minister. Thousands of people come. The church is born. And we read then in chapter 2, chapter 3, really chapter 4, that, the, that this cadence develops. And, and the church is going to be those people who are following Christ who are going to gather together every week uh, to pray together, to worship, to study God's word. They're going to gather together around the sacraments. And so we have a, we have a template for this church. And then we see throughout the rest of the book of Acts as the church grows and moves, it tends to generally be ugly and scrappy, and it's full of problems, but we watch as the church grows throughout the book of Acts. When we finish reading Acts, we go into the letters, sometimes called the epistles, and these are the letters written by Peter, James, John, right? They're writing uh, to churches, they're writing to individuals, and there's a lot in there that we learn about the church. And so we see Paul, for instance, talking about the church as a body, and, uh, and as a family. And we see some, some, some discussion about how the church ought to work and some governance. And uh, then when we move through the epistles, we get to the book of Revelation, we have, uh, we have this language, this lofty transcendent language about the church being the bride of Christ and being made up of people from every tribe and tongue and gathering together in heaven to marry <laughs> the groom, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so the church is a, is a big idea. I could continue to talk and define and tease apart the, the, the church. The church is a community. It's us. The church is a cause that we've talked about. The church is a corporation with buildings and budgets. There's, there's a lot of different things that we could say uh, about the church. Which leads to the question, what exactly of all of that, (laughs) are we asked to say we believe in? What does it mean to say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church? Well, I would say that it doesn't mean that we are 
planting a flag at a, in a local congregation, right, that we believe is, as much as, as this might hurt. It's not that we're saying that we believe in each other to get this done or that you believe in me to get this done, right? That, that's not the essence of this. Holy Catholic means called apart by God, universal, the idea, the mission. To say that we believe in the church is to say we believe that what Christ said is true and it's going to prevail. That God is going to win and the church is going to prevail. He is going to bring about the things that he sets out to do. And after lots of looking and fussing and thinking, I say, I'm in for that. I believe that. I believe that in part. I believe in the church in part because it's clear this is Jesus' idea and plan, and he's the head of the church. And if I am following Jesus, I got no options but to say I'm in with the church. He's the head of the church. He started it. It's his plan. I'm in. Secondly, it's clear that the church is developed throughout the Bible. This is the plan, right? It, it, we see, I just walked you through the New Testament. We see all this focus on the, the, the work that gets done, the community that gets built, the care that is extended in this, in this room, around this community, among people that are following Christ. And so it's clear the Bible advocates the church. I would say I believe in the church for other reasons as well. So I've, I've talked about this in the past, but there's a lot of sort of sociological data that says the church really works. Peter Drucker says the church, Peter Drucker says the church is the most effective organization on the planet. I've quoted several times the University of Pennsylvania study in which economists went out to say, does it make sense for a city to have churches? Because this is property off of the tax roll, right? A church doesn't pay taxes, at least yet. Church doesn't pay taxes. And so does it make sense for a community, for a city, to have churches? And they did an economic study. And they came back and they said, the value to a community of a church of 200 is $2.1 million a year. So, oh, yes. No one is doing the work that the church is doing. There was another study that came out. I, I just ran across it a couple weeks ago called, it's out of the University of Virginia, called No, Hunt, no Money, No Honey, No Church. And it's talking about young people. And it says, young people, and it's talking about sort of the middle class, socioeconomically, the, the, the second, the bottom half of the, of the middle class, young people, it says, uh, no honey, not married, no money, not, not a sort of career job, no church. These things are going together, and it's trouble. And in the article, they try and tease out, and they say, which is causing what, right? Is it, is it that they're not, you know, how is this happening? And the gist of it, in part, is to say the, the sociological value of the church to, to help young people grow up and move into whatever kind of life they're being called to, stability, just cannot be underestimated. It can't happen without the church. 
And then I, I've quoted uh, Charles Malik, who Harvard PhD, who was the only guy in the history of the UN that held the top three spots. And uh, he wrote a book a while back in which he said, there's all these organizations that make up society. There's the state, there's the family, there's the marketplace, there's media, there's the university, uh, there's the arts, there's the church. And he says in this book, if the church doesn't do its job, none of the other six have a chance. If the church doesn't do its job, none of the other six have a chance. So there's evidence. There's evidence, if you go looking for it, that says, yes, I believe in the church. Like, it's, a good, it's a good thing. And it continues to last in spite of who we are, in spite of the problems that we make. So I'm in. I'm saying I believe in the church. And in a second, I'm going to give you uh, a chance to agree. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to say the Apostles' Creed. You don't want to say it if you don't believe it. But I just want to say, look, to believe in the church, to believe in the church means I'm in. I prioritize the church, right? However that gets worked out, it's a small group, it's serving, it's coming to worship, it's Bible study, it's prayer. I'm in. It's not, yes, in theory I believe. It's, no, I'm in. I believe in the church. This is God's plan. I believe the church is going to prevail because God is going to win, and he said it's going to prevail. So it's, it's that time of year to sort of step up and sign up and get involved. And you have an opportunity to not just verbally say, but to say, I believe in the church. So at all the campuses here in the Lake Forest campus, please stand and uh, we're going to put the Apostles' Creed up on the screen. And if you want to affirm this, I invite you to repeat it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, believe in the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.